Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. There's a term in sports, it's called playing not to lose. I remember in high school, we were playing uh, Saginaw Buena Vista. They won 57 straight games. They were ranked fourth in the nation in USA Today. And we came out aggressively. We were playing, our, I think our coach said, you were playing angry. You were playing mad. You were playing like you had a chip on your shoulder. We jumped out. We were beating them. We were like crushing them. And then we saw that we were going to beat the fourth ranked team in the nation at this Christmas tournament. And we started like, whoa, this is actually going to happen. This is insane. And we stopped playing aggressively. We stopped leaning forward. We stopped playing with a chip on our shoulders. And we started playing not to lose. We started trying to avoid making mistakes. We were playing just to get to when the, the clock ran down. And we wanted to just be ahead, even if it's just a barely a little bit when the clock stopped and the buzzer went off. And we almost got beat because we were playing not to lose. We were playing on our heels. We were playing defensively. And two weeks ago, I, I told you some convictions that I had at this conference for our denomination that I feel like in a lot of ways I have been, and us as a church, has been playing defensively. We've been playing not to lose. We've been playing safe. And because of that, we've lost some of our um, evangelistic edge. And I'm in the process of asking God to help me turn that around. But here's what happens. We could put together a big like, um, plan, a big strategy, where I have all these goals for you to do this year. Here's how we're going to get our evangelistic zeal and edge back. And if we were to only do that, you would start doing that in your own strength, in your own capacity, your own power, and it would be, the same thing would happen. Because here's how, you lose, here's how you lose your mission as a church. Here's how missional drift happens. You stop praying. And this is the root in my own heart, in my own life, that God has been showing me these past couple weeks. You know, I spent a lot of time when we were in the Smoky Mountains. We saw over 10 bears in the Smoky Mountains. Is that insane? That was the, I didn't think we'd see any. Like, before we even got to the cabin, Mackenzie's like, bear! And I looked over, there's a bear eating this trash. It was insane. So we saw over 10 bears, which was awesome. But what I wanted to say was every morning I would get up and I would sit on this deck that was off the master bedroom and I would look out over the Smokies and I was asking God, why did we lose our edge? Why have I lost my edge in evangelism and trying to reach as many people for the kingdom as possible? And, and God made it clear, it's because you don't pray like you used to. And I remember Saturday nights when we first planted the church, I would spend an hour or two outside on our back porch praying for this time together and praying that people who are wandering and lost would find home in Jesus here. I got away from it. I used to send out a prayer support email to 50 people that would be praying for this church, that we would stay missionally alive and active because you lose your missional edge when you stop praying in the church. And they would pray for specific things that I would send them a weekly email. Here's how we need your support. Here's how we need your prayer. Alex and I would pray for an hour together. Every time we met, every week, we'd go on a walk and, and pray. And a few months ago, I said, we can't, we got to get back to this. We can't get away from this. And we got away from it. It's not Alex's fault. It's my fault. 
we've lost our edge because we've lost our prayers. Men's group, remember what we used to do? Remember that? Before COVID, were you in that group? What did we do? First hour, study. Second hour, we prayed together for an hour. We've lost our missional zeal, our missional edge, because we've lost our prayer. The most meaningful launch team that we had was sitting in the Best Western around a circle, and there was two weeks left until we launched, and I said, I'm not sure what else we should really do, so we're going to pray. Because prayer is how you open the door for God to enter into whatever you're doing. If you want to experience God's power in something, the way you open the door for his power to be involved is through prayer. And I said, so let's pray. And it was one of the most meaningful prayer sessions that I'd had in a long time. We prayed as a launch team for the launch of this church. Staff meetings, we used to pray 30 to 45 minutes together every week. So that's where we've lost our power. That's why we started to drift. And at our September vision night for our serve team, we're going to be talking about this a little bit more, but we're bringing it back because I want to reach as many people as we can for the kingdom And that's not going to happen in our own power, in our own strength. It's going to happen when the Spirit joins us as we invite him to through prayer. It goes along really well with the passage today. If you want to turn to it, it's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. And if you don't have a Bible, you can just follow, you can just listen. The Bible is actually written... Uh, originally to be heard, to be read out loud to different churches. Everybody doing okay? Okay. Is the temperature okay in here? I always feel like it's like 90 degrees in here, but it's like everyone else is fine. It must be, I'm just on the hot seat or something because I feel really, really warm. But everyone, you guys are good? All right. All right. Hank's good. Anybody else? All right. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. What do you want to do if you want to, if you want to become a better intellectual, what do you do? You exercise your intellect. You read things that are just beyond your ability to understand them. And then you think about it. And then you try to write out what the author is saying. What do you do if you want to increase your intelligence? You stretch yourself. You learn a new language or even a new card game or something that gets you out of the comfort, stagnant level of where you currently are. What do you do if you want to become a stronger musician? You do things, you play things on the guitar. If you're playing the guitar, you play things that are just a little bit beyond your reach, your current grasp. And it feels really, really uncomfortable. You're exercising yourself in a way that it doesn't really feel very good because you're pushing yourself. You're doing scales. You're trying, you know, when I I tried to learn the guitar for about five minutes and I found three chords that I could do and I never did any other chords. I said, what? How many songs can I play with just these three chords? Because these are the easy ones. And there was, very, there was actually a lot of songs you could play with just three chords. But then I, was just, I just wasn't good at it and I just stopped. This is years ago. 
But if you want to become a better musician, you play things that are going to stretch your, your abilities. What if you want to become a stronger artist? How do you become a stronger artist? A stronger drawer, a stronger sketcher. You learn how to draw the negative space. So you're looking at an apple, and if you, want to become, if you want to exercise your ability to see things, because art is all about being able to see things that other people don't see, you draw the negative space around the apple. You're stretching yourself. You're doing things that are uncomfortable. All of these things entail you becoming stronger in some way. All of these things entail you exercising your own abilities so they become stronger. But how does one become stronger spiritually? The kingdom of God is full of paradox. In the kingdom, the way to become strong is to become weak. You can write this in the margins of your notes there. It's 2 Corinthians 12.10. Paul says it. He says, when I am weak, then I am strong. Because the kingdom is all about paradox. The reason that's true is because the way that we become strong is not strengthening our own self. It's being strengthened by something outside of us, which is God. So the way that you become stronger is through weakness because you recognize your need for God. That's how we access God's power, through admitting our need for him. That's how you enter the kingdom, through admitting, I can't save myself. We are taught that we can save and rescue ourselves, and it's a sham. We can't rescue ourselves. We can't pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps when it comes to kingdom work and other things that works, but not in the kingdom. Now, if you've been paying attention, the single thread that has held the last couple chapters of Ephesians together is this ethic that Paul has been laying out that seems darn near impossible to keep. He's asking us, like he always does, like Jesus did, to live in a way that's impossible for us. Jesus would ask people to do impossible things to see if they actually were come to a place of dependence upon him. And if they said no, then he would watch sadly as they walked away. He didn't lower the bar. He was trying to raise the dependence on him. Because if he asks us to do something we can do in our own strength, we don't need him. Paul's asking us up to this point in Ephesians, starting with chapter 4, verse 1, to live in a way that is genuinely impossible. So what I want to do just briefly here is I want to survey through some of the things that he's asked us to do. That I don't know about you, but these feel really, really difficult for me. This ethic that he's calling us to live, this way that he's calling us to treat one another, I will be the first to admit I am not good at this. This is hard. This is difficult. This is tough stuff. But this is where he's calling us to live. Let's start with chapter 4, verse 2. If you want to go, go back and just look with me, I'm going to go through a bunch of these really quickly in the point to show you we desperately need his help. The first thing that Paul calls us to in chapter 4, verse 2 is humility. <laughs> Can we just pause there for a second? The moment you begin to recognize your own humility, it disappears. You realize that? 
Any attention at all that you draw to your own humility means that you're no longer humble. It's impossible. You could spend a week thinking about what does humility mean, and it means not considering yourself a non-self-conscious presence around others. I only think about other people and how to make their lives better. That's humility. And the minute you start recognizing I'm moving in that direction, poof, it's gone. That's why it's the most difficult virtue. But then he goes on, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity. There are so many of these things that I am so immature yet, and God allows things in my life to show me, you are just not there. I can't, I mean, humility, forget about it. But these things, we've got a ways to go. I've got a ways to go. I'm starting to see I, I need God, and I don't even need to go back. I don't even need to go past chapter 4, verse 2 to see my need for God. 4.15, speaking the truth in love. To me, this is the most difficult skill any disciple of Jesus needs to learn. This is really, really, really hard to do. To speak truth without an edge with gentleness and kindness. That's not easy. And it would be lazy for me as a pastor to just come up here and say what's true. Wherever it lands, that's not my problem. That's your problem. Yeah, that's, I'm not allowed doing that. And it's really hard. It's hard to do that talking with anybody. What about 426? Not allowing the sun to go down on your anger so as to not give the devil a foothold. Guilty. 428. Working in honest living in order to be able to share with others in need. Yeah. 429. Only speaking the words that build others up and give grace to those who hear them. Remember, this is all the intention of Paul here is to get you to the place where you believe that you need to live in God's power instead of your own. So, 429, basically the grid that we run everything we, through, we say through is, will what I'm about to say edify, build up, encourage, give grace to, communicate grace to the person who's hearing it? And if the answer's no, then I'm not allowed saying it. So we say all the time, Americans have freedom of speech. Disciples don't. We say what's, what builds up and only what builds up. Up. 432, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God has forgiven you in Christ. Guilty. 5-2, walking in love as Christ loved us. 5-4, being thankful. When people describe you as one of the first things they say, they're just a very thankful person. 5-18, being continually filled with the Spirit and ruthlessly eliminating anything that would diminish you being led and empowered by the Spirit in your life. That's why he says then after that, don't get drunk on wine because that leads to something else other than the Spirit of God controlling you. I enjoy a good glass of red as much as anybody, and it's in completely in bounds to do that. The minute it starts to affect me is the minute I'm going out of God's will. Five, uh, let's see, where are we at, guys? 519, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord in your heart, where people look at you and be like, man, he's, he or she always has a song in their heart. They're always delighted with life and God and people. 521, submitting to one another 
out of reverence for Christ, 522, wives submitting to husbands, 528, husbands loving your wives with the same intentionality and intensity as you love yourselves, 6-1, children obeying your parents, 6-4, parents not provoking your children to anger, and last week, Pastor Al discussed how employers and employees conduct themselves together. The truth is, there isn't a person in this room who's living this way. Because Paul has been getting us to the place where when we finally read chapter 6, verse 10, we're able to confess that everything he's asked us to do up to this point is impossible apart from God. which is how we begin to receive power from God to live those ways. And if that list of ethics isn't enough to convince you that you need God's power to thrive in the kingdom of God, Paul lays down the ultimate checkmate. How about this? How about you have to fight demons? Oh yeah. That's right. Go ahead and try to win that battle in your own strength. Because if you look just a little bit ahead in 6.12, Ephesians 6.12, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And of all the Christians in the world, I think Christians who live in the United States are at a severe disadvantage here. We're very naive about spiritual warfare. We're going to spend some time on it the next few weeks as we wrap up Ephesians, but we are embarrassingly naive about spiritual warfare warfare. I was at the chapel several years ago. I was, um, uh, our campus pastor was gone on vacation, and I was preaching that day, and so at that campus, I was like the person that was supposed to, if anything happened, I was supposed to handle it. I was kind of in charge, and it just so happened that day, I'm, I'm sitting in my office before, before service, and a lady comes into my office, she knocks on the door, and I'm like, I, I'm praying and like getting ready for service. For the message is an emergency. Yes, she comes in. Um, and she tries to explain it. And she says, there's a lady in the Sunday school class. She's gone berserk. She's yelling and cussing and like spitting and just out of control. I think she's possessed by a demon. And I was looking at her like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, okay, yes, yes. And she's like, Greg, I think you need to go out there and cast it out. And I was like, mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, who else is around? And I was like, well, I'll give it to old college try. I got the Bible, and I walked out there, and I, I saw this, this, <laughs> this thing that I saw. I saw this lady that was sitting in a chair and this group of people around her that had her hands, their hands on her shoulders. And I, I didn't really know what to do, but there was a lady from England that day. It was the only day she ever visited that church. She was, like a, she was a mother of someone that was on staff at the chapel, and um, she had some experience in some of these things, and she was 
praying in a way that I had never heard before, that I felt was a little hokey. But as she was praying, the lady's shoulders, who they were praying for, began to become less tense, and she relaxed into the prayer, and she came to herself, and she had her right mind about her after that. And then that lady ended up becoming a strong disciple of Jesus. You need two things to fight against demons. <laughs> Even saying that sounds funny. You need authority and power, neither of which you have apart from God. You know, a police officer, when he steps into a scene, he has a badge which symbolizes authority. I'm coming at you not with my own personal authority, but with the authority of the state and the country here. But if that's not enough, he needs something to enforce. Good people will see that you have authority and acquiesce to what you say to do. If that's not enough, he needs power. And the police officer has a sidearm, which is the power. Authority and power, we need both, neither of which we have on our own apart from Christ. There was an incident that happened here in Ephesus described in Acts 19, if you want to read that later. It was people who knew just enough about spiritual warfare that they decided to give it a shot. They were seven sons of a Jewish high priest that noticed when Jesus went places, evil stuff was cast out of people. Very interesting. And they were probably fascinated by that. So what they decided to do was try on their own to begin casting demons out of people. They wanted to become exorcists. So these seven sons of this Jewish high priest go into someone's house and they tried to cast out a demon. And the demon spoke back to them. You know what he said? The demon said, Jesus, I know. I know him. We're familiar. We know who he is. And Paul, I recognize. But who are you? Uh-oh. In just a couple verses later, those seven sons of this Jewish high priest were seen running out of the house, bloody and naked. Because we need two things that we don't have in our own strength in order to handle ourselves well in spiritual warfare, and that is authority and power. Now, most of the time, demons today don't choose to fight against us that way. It's more subtle. But you can be sure that these principalities of darkness are, in fact, just as active today as they were back then. In different ways, most of the time. In the next few weeks, we're going to talk about those ways, and, but we're also, we're mainly going to talk about how we stand firm in the battle that Jesus has won. So if we're going to start 
learning how to battle in this way, we first need to learn that we are in need of God's help. We first need to confess that we're not going to be able to do this in our own strength. So the way to begin to obey this commandment in 610, be strong in the Lord and strength of his might, is to start by admitting our need and confessing our inability to live the way that Paul is calling us to live and to battle these things in this spiritual realm that we can't see that's apparently trying to tear us apart. We do it by confessing our weakness and our need. Every Sunday morning is a nightmare for me. You know, I wake up terrified because I remember as soon as I wake up that I have to speak in front of people. I've told this ad nauseum, my story, my, my fear of public speaking. But I go into a series of prayers immediately, seriously, as soon as I wake up. I start saying, apart from your Holy Spirit, apart from your help, I'm not going to go today. I'm going to quit and tell Pastor Alex you take over. <laughs> I'm just, I can't do it. Apart from your help, I'm going to get up here and forget what I'm going to say. Apart from your help, I'm going to get up here and forget how to read, because that has happened when I used to have panic attacks. I would forget how to read. I couldn't read. Apart from your help, I'm going to run out the door and just never come back. Apart from your help, I'm going to be a puddle up here. I'm not going to be able to speak. I'm going to stop breathing. I'm going to have some type of panic attack that just hinders me from being effective at all or communicating at all. But you haven't given me a spirit of timidity. You've given me a spirit of power. And I begin then to confess all the ways that God has supplied for all of my needs. And that's how I become strong in the Lord. And you know, the least anxious 30 minutes of my week is right here. That's insane. This is where I'm least anxious. This 30 minutes behind this weird pulpit is the bravest I feel all week. You know what that means? It's because I'm strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Because where I am weak, then I am strong. The first step in receiving power from God is to admit your need for his help. Our worst case scenario, genuinely, this is the worst case scenario for your life, is to think that we can manage our life without him. Is to think he's just kind of an additional add-on that makes me a little nicer is to think I've got everything under control in my life. I was reading this week, I think they're called optical blind spots. It's that little test that you maybe did in elementary school. It's, it's like a circle, and they put a dot somewhere in the circle, and you move the paper around like this until all of a sudden the little dot in the circle disappears. The crazy thing about that is we all go through all of our lives with these optical blind spots. There's things in this room right now it looks like I can see everything, but I can't. I have blind spots right in front of me that I don't even know are there. When we live in a way that we think we've got everything control, we can handle our lives, we don't really need God, he's just a nice little add-on, but we don't really need him, we can manage our lives just fine. We have got a gaping blind spot and we don't even know it's there. You are in the most danger of anyone. The way that we become strong in the Lord it is admitting our need for him. Here's my question for you guys, or here's what I, I invite you to ask yourselves this week. This can be your, your prayer. 
God, where are my blind spots? Where do I think I can manage life as you have designed it to be lived apart from your help? Maybe yours is, God, I feel like I can manage myself just fine. Do me a favor and show me that that's an illusion. Because I know we all build these empires of illusions of control in our life, and it could fall apart in a heartbeat. Give me a glimpse of the fragility of this magical empire I've built in my own strength. Give me a glimpse that it's just a vapor that could go away in a heartbeat. But be careful. (laughs) That's a scary prayer. I'd pray the other thing first. (laughs) Where are my blind spots? Where do I need your power in my life? And that is the beginning of receiving it. Admitting your need for him is the beginning of receiving his help. But you gotta admit it first. Why don't you guys stand up? And we'll pray together. Music team can come on down. Well, Lord, this was really fun. I enjoy being up here and not having any anxiety for 30 minutes. (laughs) And I appreciate the gift of that, the reminder that as I confess my need for you every Sunday morning, somehow, mystically, magically, in a way that that is unexplainable, that feels quite miraculous, all of it lifts for 30 minutes and I get to speak plainly and then I go back to my seat and it falls on me again. (laughs) It's crazy. Every Sunday, every Sunday, you show me that when I am weak, then I am strong. And there is something in each of us, every individual in here, where we are weak and maybe we don't even see it, maybe we don't recognize it, maybe we don't know it. And I ask that you would help us to have the courage to ask you what that is. The courage maybe to ask loved ones around us who maybe see our flaws. What are some some areas where we are weak that we could use God's help? It's a scary thing, Lord, but help us to be strong and courageous, knowing that you are with us and that where we confess need, you fill with strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.